Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. You're listening to the Risk Commentary Podcast. Are you responsible for managing risk but feel frustrated with a confused process? Your host, Edward Robertson, has helped clients not only face uncertainty but also solve chronic business problems by using clear methods with a minimal footprint. Do it right and your people will smile, love the risk process and invite you back. Stay tuned to find out how. This is episode 11, how to facilitate high quality risk assessment. So in this episode, what I'd like to do is review, first of all, what we accomplished last time in doing risk identification according to what I call high quality risk assessment and the reasons for using the roundtable of experts approach to that exercise. So we'll do that review fairly quickly and then we'll move on to further detail on how to facilitate high quality risk assessment and how to carry out that assessment using the generic methodology that we recommend. So instead of an informal or an ad hoc approach to risk identification or just having a a discussion around the table and taking notes, that sort of thing, uh, what we decided was that it's much better to have an ordered, structured approach to risk ID and, in fact, to make sure that the quality is built in. For that reason, we uh, issued some caution around the idea of using either surveys or interviews, which can entail all kinds of problems of data quality. And we recommend instead to use the roundtable of experts approach. So instead of disparate and vague risk information, which is often gathered in sort of an uninformed approach, we're going to use an ordered method. Now, the great benefit of using a roundtable of experts approach is that you're able to map many person years of experience and professional memory against a common context. That context is carefully defined. Everyone signed off on it. So you sort out all kinds of foundational problems at the front end. And moreover, you're making best use of the time that you've got. You're working within limited constraints for getting people to cooperate, to contribute risk information, and perhaps to attend meetings. So this is really the best way to make the, the uh, highest, most efficient use of that time. So consider this list of benefits. You're going to be conducting risk identification, which is, first of all, understood uh, among participants to be the same thing. In other words, everyone's using the same set of definitions with regard to what a risk is and what the bounds of the discussion are. The discussion of risk is going to be focused very closely on goals and objectives that are already clearly stated. That means that you're going to be limiting and actually excluding precluding the discussion of risk that is irrelevant, that goes all over the map, that is out of context, out of scope, and that is just a time waster. Now, in so doing, you won't be closing your eyes to risk. You won't be burying your head in the sand because all of the uh, large influences, the let's say the conditions and trends that are sort of extant in the environment that are affecting our business, well, these things are not ignored. They're taken account of in an earlier stage in the planning. Now, this risk ID method further is not simply a look into the past to review, well, let's say the risks that already occurred, the accidents that happened, or even instances of non-compliance. 
No, beyond those conceptions of risk, we're actually asking participants to project their thinking, their imagination into the future and to uh, surmise what the uncertainties will be with regard to their abilities to execute on the stated goals and objectives. Now, of course, to do that, they do rely on their professional memories. That's, that's understood. But it's not simply a review of risks that have already matured. There are many ways in which problems experienced in the past can be understood and synthesized in, in one's mind to uh, sort of apply as a general principle in a new context. And that's exactly what we're counting on the participants in a roundtable to do. Another characteristic of this risk ID method is that it's comprehensive. That is reasonably comprehensive within the constraints of the limits of our resources. Now, it's comprehensive by virtue of three things. First of all, we're tracing through a carefully formulated set of goals and objectives uh, and a context paper that keeps us on track. Secondly, we're using risk categories to make sure that people are considering uh, all various sources of risk. And third, we're using the roundtable itself, which is already a multiplicity of views of a common context. And referring to even earlier podcast episodes in this series, let's not forget that people will not be able to sit at the table and impugn the goals and objectives that have been formulated. Why? Because we already vetted the planning practice. We know that our goals and objectives are really the result of a serious exercise on analyzing the strategic context of the organization, doing an environmental scan, establishing our priorities properly, and uh, also formulating those goals and objectives in such a way that they're actionable. Well, we addressed the idea of starting the risk ID session and how to conduct the session in our last podcast episode, but let's elaborate on that a bit further now. Um, the idea then is to somehow facilitate a discussion. And if you're not practiced at this and you haven't thought about it, um, very quickly the, the discussion can go off the rails and you'll find that you, you sort of wasted the meeting time that you had worked so hard to put together and get people to agree to. Now, a good way to practice this is to use um, some trial projects. You don't want to start off with the senior executive group uh, you know, on your first run with trying to do risk ID. So as you begin to discuss risk and trace through each element of the context, that is, each uh, goal and objective that comes under consideration, and asking people to contribute their ideas of what the uncertainties are with regard to trying to execute on these goals and objectives, the getting started can be difficult because it's sort of like having a, a blank slate or a blank canvas in front of you. And um, what I recommend is that you simply ask your program lead to begin the discussion and state what that person considers to be one of the main risks in the project. Now, once a person suggests an idea as to what the risk is with regard to any particular goal, objective, activity, or even a value, a corporate value to be uh, sort of preserved and, and safeguarded, um, the idea is to let the discussion ensue. Let people, um, you know, bat the idea back and forth, so to speak, exchange views and begin to understand one another's opinion, one another's stance on various issues. But at the same time, uh, what, what, this what the facilitator is doing is listening very carefully. And at a certain point, the facilitator wants to uh, interrupt and say, all right, um, I think I've got an idea of what the risk is based on the discussion. And what you've done is you've typed a trial version of the risk statement uh, in the risk register. Now, this is all displayed on a screen so that everyone can see what you're doing. Um, and what you do is you check back 
with the participants, especially with the person who suggested the idea of the risk. And you say, is this the, the correct formulation? And then people will, will chime in. They'll say, well, no, change this word, change that word. Okay, that's right. And then by sort of a process of consensus, people have uh, usually a, an agreed view on what the proper expression of the risk is for that particular issue, that particular goal or objective that is under consideration. So as you continue down the list of goals and objectives in the, in the context, um, you'll find that this uh, consideration of the risk formulation of the risk, uh, typing it into the risk register, getting that corrected, getting everyone to agree, and then moving on to the, to the next item, you'll find that that sort of develops into a, a cadence or a rhythm that people get used to, and they start to appreciate because they <laughs> they perceive that they're actually getting through the agenda quite quickly, um, and that the, the discussion has some, has some sort of a order to it. Make sure you don't let any particular person or group of persons dominate the discussion by uh, asking everyone around the table to get, to contribute ideas, to elicit their ideas of risk. Make sure each one of those risk statements adheres rigorously to the rules that we established. That was in the last episode. You can check that. And there's also a blog post on the same topic. Be mindful that you don't let anyone sneak in these uh, considerations of broad risk that should have been taken care of in the planning. In other words, you don't want to let people start to identify a risk that is really out of scope now, it's not illegitimate to say something like, okay, well, there could be fire or there could be a, a hazard risk or something. And if that's the case, then as I recommend, you, you just take that sort of thing offline and you say, all right, well, we have to conduct a dedicated session to business continuity and emergency planning. That's where the identification of hazard risk would really properly belong. As I mentioned last time, there's nothing wrong with the facilitator suggesting what the risk might be because, you know, realistically speaking, the facilitator will be bringing a whole different uh, management experience and history to the table, which could be very useful. It's only necessary that you make clear when you're contributing as opposed to simply facilitating. Then again, it's perfectly feasible to facilitate the session when you don't know very much about the, the content. In fact, that actually gives you a license to ask questions uh, with regard to the logical continuity uh, of people's remarks. It gives you the license to ask questions uh, since you don't know too much about you know, a highly specialized subject matter. And that can actually be very useful because people often uh, assume certain things that are contradictory and that really need to be examined for a full disclosure of risk. Now, if the subject matter is particularly uh, contentious, if it's really controversial, or potentially charged with emotion and so on, then first of all, it's a great idea to, first of all, get formal training and facilitation before trying to conduct such a session. And another way to help handle that kind of situation is to facilitate in tandem with someone else so that people perceive that there's a balanced approach to the facilitation and it's not. It doesn't uh, you know, bring any undue bias. Well, there's more discussion on how to actually run the session, both in the last podcast episode and in the book. It's, it's very difficult to try to list everything uh, in this format. Um, and it's a rather lengthy discussion. And the thing is that it's going to involve some experimentation and development of uh, your own personal facilitation style or method. I try to encapsulate my method with an acronym LIFT, which stands for listen, interpret, formulate, and test. In other words, you listen first very carefully to the participants to see 
what their view of risk is and how they might express it. Now, keep in mind that people won't always express perfectly well even, you know, what their thoughts are with regard to the risk. And, you know, this is a common difficulty that all of us have because when we're too close to the business, it's sometimes hard to articulate it. And that's why I have the next step uh, is I interpret. So you try to interpret what they say and then formulate what they say by uh, typing in a trial risk statement so that everyone can see. And then you check back. That's the test. Now, I found that in the vast majority of cases, people will actually agree as to the formulation of the risk when you use that method. If there's some um, serious disagreement as to how the risk should be formulated, often it points to more like a, a root issue where the um, there's two issues that need to be expressed as two different risks, something like that. Now, finally, with regard to process, I want to point out that one of the main purposes of this session is to demonstrate the method to the program lead and the participants themselves, because what we're doing uh, eventually in enterprise risk management is using a skills transfer method. We want to demonstrate the risk ID and assessment methodology so that other people can pick it up and lead the session themselves when they get back to the office and to continue in their normal business. Now, for that reason, what you want to do is trade off with the program lead from time to time to give that person practice. So that's pretty much all I want to say about uh, conducting the session that is leading the process for the moment. Um, as I say, check back with the previous episode because I, I had other comments um, with regard to how to facilitate the session. But for now, let's continue on with the idea of assessing the risk. How do we do risk assessment? Well, if we've looked at the recommended risk registers or the process that is suggested in the standards, of course we come across the idea of establishing for each risk the likelihood, that is the probability of its occurrence, and the consequence or the severity, the degree of severity of the risk should it, actu should it actually uh, mature. So I've got some you know, detailed recommendations on how to set up the schema for likelihood and consequence and how to interpret each one, I think there's going to be some differences from one organization to another, uh, for, you know, in terms of these schemas and exactly how the risk register is designed. You can see examples in my uh, tools and templates, but regardless of how the uh, schema for likelihood and consequence is designed, the important thing to consider is that in order to do this quickly and at the same time to not uh, be deficient, um, there's a way to assess risk by using four lenses, looking at the risk through four different lenses, so to speak, that is applying four different criteria. Of course, the first two are the likelihood and consequence. Now, we know that we don't have um, actuarial data or statistical data that is going to give us exact probabilities with regard to forecasting the, uh, the probability of a, a given event, a given risk event. So for this reason, um, we just want to use our professional judgment to estimate the possibility based on our past experience and you know the present circumstances. And when we assign a ranking for the consequence or degree of severity of the risk, it's always in relation to the goals and objectives that are under consideration. Now, if you test this with certain risks in your context, you'll probably find that just using likelihood and consequence and coming up with a resultant ranking is really insufficient. You, you need to consider two more things. One is the um, 
existing controls, that is the controls that are in place already to mitigate or um, sort of uh, attenuate the risk that you're considering. And this is not just financial controls. I'm talking about controls in, in a broad sense applied to any sort of risk. And even that, uh, those three then are insufficient. That is likelihood, consequence, and uh, characterizing the existing controls. The fourth thing that is really necessary is the degree of tolerance for the risk that you have. And that needn't be a complicated calculation. It can simply be a statement of high, medium, or low. The reason for that is you might have a risk that has a certain uh, criticality or resultant ranking with uh, a certain uh, measure of control that's already applied against it, and yet, because of your tolerance, low tolerance for that particular risk, you decide that you must take action. So I found that on balance, you're able to record likelihood, consequence, uh, characterize the existing controls, just very briefly, in a few uh, words in the statement, in the risk register, and at the same time, put in an indication of your tolerance for that risk, simply by expressing high, medium, or low. And then as a result of those four lenses, you're able to make a really uh, well-informed decision on how you want to respond to that risk. Just a reminder that if you want to look more in depth on this question of risk tolerance and risk appetite, I put a link in the show notes to an article that I recommended previously in episode three. One final point on high-quality risk assessment facilitation I recommend that you first list all of the risks in the risk register before you start on the assessment of each one. The reason is that often you'll want to adjust the formulation, the statement of risks, as you proceed down the risk register and cover all the issues. Also, you're likely to change your opinion of the um, source of the risk or the risk category for different items. And the last reason is that if you try to assess each risk as you formulate it, it interrupts the flow of the discussion. Let's summarize what we covered today. Number one, the definition of high-quality risk assessment. It was given back in episode four, but I repeat it here in the show notes. Number two, the most advantageous method for risk identification is the roundtable of experts approach for various reasons. Number three, the whole method is grounded in consistent definitions and a rigorous planning practice. Number four, facilitating the session is a matter of practice with several nuances and finer points, ideally first explored in trial runs on smaller projects. Number five, my method can be summarized as LIFT, L, listen, I, interpret, F, formulate the risk, T, test or check back with participants. Number six, risk assessment per se is a matter of specifying four criteria. In my experience, it's sufficient and necessary to do at least four. Likelihood, consequence, an assessment of the existing controls, and the level of tolerance. In the next episode, we'll discuss the significance of the risk register that you've built so carefully and how to do breakthrough dramatic risk mitigation. Thank you for listening. Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. Visit today for episode transcripts as well as books and online courses. That's riskcommentary.ca.